is a Woodside Church podcast. I've been part of Woodside Church since 2018, and today I'll be continuing with our first Samuel series. Last week, Dave Devnish um, walked, walked us through chapters 5 to 7 and shared, us, shared about the ark of God and how Samuel grew up as a prophet. Today we'll be looking at chapter 8, and before we read the chapter, I would just like us to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you so much that you're good, that you're faithful, that you're always constant throughout our lives. You're a good father, you're a good friend, and as the worship, worship songs declared, your love is amazing, your grace is amazing, you are the king of our hearts. And as testimonies came and glorified your name, thanked you for what you've done in their life, we just thank you that we can gather here together and glorify your name. Thank you for listening to our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on. Okay. So, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of their firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains, and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to, go to the Lord and the Lord told him, Listen to all, the pe- all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. It is not as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders over thousands and commanders of fifties, and others will plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. 
No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it to the Lord. The Lord answered him, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. The major problem that was visible throughout this chapter is Israel's sudden want for a king. It wasn't a request, it was a demand. They had already made up their mind that they wanted a king. Even when Samuel warned them about the negative consequences of having a king, Israel rebelled and pressed on with their demand for a king. And finally, God allowed them to have a king despite knowing it wasn't the best thing for them. In this preach, I want to bring out three points that are, firstly, making decisions based on our own desires. Secondly, the dangers and consequences of making decisions based on our own desires. And lastly, God's desire versus our desire. Let's unfold the first point, which is making decisions on our own desires. Israel made their decision of demanding, demanding for a king based on their own desire. Despite Samuel's warning, Israel keep, kept insisting. From verses 19 and 20, we can see that all, all that Israel wanted was protection, provision, and guidance. We need to look at and ask ourselves, why did Israel insist on having a king? The first reason is that they did not recognize that God was already fulfilling those needs and much more throughout their lives. Since the time of Judges, whenever Israel was obedient to God and depended on God, they always emerged victorious in their battles with the Philistines. But in 1 Samuel 5, we see that following Israel's disobedience to God, God did not intervene when the Philistines attacked them and captured the Ark of God. From David's preach last week, we know that they play, the Philistines placed this Ark in the temple of their god, Dagon. And as David very clearly elaborated, even though Israel wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, God was still at work. He made a mockery of Dagon and brought the Philistines to their knees. He exhibited his power, his might, and his glory in an unmistakable way, and yet Israel did not understand who their God was. The second reason why they insisted on having a king is because they wanted to be like the nations around them. Despite God wanting Israel to be his chosen nation and a people set apart for him, they started comparing themselves with other nations and wanted to copy their ways. They clearly lacked the understanding of their identity, their calling, and their uniqueness. So, my mother comes from a Hindu family. And before I was born, she had a very personal encounter with God and she gave her life to him because she realized he was the only one true God. And so I was brought up in this Christian faith. 
and I went to church regularly, which was all fine till I grew up and I became a teenager. When that happened, I started finding church very boring. I started not being happy giving up my Sunday evenings to church because every Monday morning, my school friends who were non-Christians would come to me and say, oh, our weekend was like this, was like this. And I started comparing my life with their life. And I started comparing me with them. All that it did was it made me, made me bitter, it made me unhappy and upset at my parents, and I was unsatisfied the whole time. The problem at that time was that I did not know who God was, I did not know what my calling was, I did not know who I was, and I just, I just looked at my friends' lives and I said, oh, they have such a better, they have a much better life than me. And then I started, I started wishing that I was born in their family. I was no better than the Israelites. Now, I think I'm going to pause my story there, and we're going to jump back into Israel, and we're going to see why did Israel lack the understanding of who their God was, what their identity and calling was. Looking at the history of Israel, we can clearly see that they never had a desire to know who their God was, nor did they make an effort to know who he, who he was. All they solely focused on was their needs to be met and live a struggle-free life. In this case, they thought a human king would be the solution for all their needs and wants. From David's preach last week, we know that a couple of years ago, God had gone out with the Israelites, defeated the Philistines, and Samuel named that place Ebenezer, which meant, till now, the Lord has helped us. When God restored all that Philistines had taken from Israel, Samuel even built an altar, not only to glorify God, but to remind the people that God had shown them compassion and mercy, forgiven their sins, and fought for them. But the people had forgotten the experience of Ebenezer. The reason why they forgot was because they were not reflecting on their past and learning from it. Israelites were slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians. And even without them fighting, God delivered them from slavery. Still, they could not comprehend that their God would protect and fight for them. When they were in the wilderness, God provided them fruit every single day. And yet they could not retain the trust that God will provide for them. God appointed leaders and judges over them to guide them, help them, and speak to them on behalf of God, but they were unable to commit their heart wholeheartedly to God and remember who their God was. But you know what? God knew this weakness of theirs, and that's why in Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25, God commanded Israel, teach your children Tell your children, remind your children what God has done for you. How many of us share with our younger generation what God has done for us? How faithful God has been throughout our life? How often do we share our testimonies with them? Also, in Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12, Moses tells Israel, 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, with a house, house filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses clearly warned Israelites not to forget God or what God had done for them because they knew they were very vulnerable in this area. One of the common things between us and the Israelites is that we all can be very forgetful. And that's why, as New Testament Christians, we are also equally vulnerable to not remember what God has done for us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 25, Paul quotes what Jesus said. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This command is to help us remember that we're sinners saved by the grace of God. Every time we get together and worship him, we are remembering the love of God, the goodness of God, his protection over us, his provision and guidance for us on a day-to-day -day basis. God wants us to have a very personal relationship with him and to remain committed to him at all times. Jumping back to my story, I had no desire to know who my God was because I was so busy looking at the world, at other people and their lives. I did not know who I was and what I was made for and called for because I wasn't looking in the right place. If I had gone to God, I would have received the right answers immediately if only I had spent time with him. But instead, I was there comparing myself with other people. I want us to reflect on this question. Are we making time on a daily basis to get to know God and his word and develop a personal relationship with him? Or do we fall in the group who say, I don't know much about my God or his word? Right, the second thing is, let's look at the dangers and consequences of following our own desires. The first point is, we intentionally or unintentionally reject God as the king of our life and we become slaves to our desires. When Samuel took Israel's request to God, God very clearly explained to Samuel that the people weren't rejecting him, they were rejecting God as their king. When we are solely focused on our desires, we make God secondary and we make us and our own desires primary. But we weren't created like that. We were created to live life with God being our primary focus, and we're supposed to be dependent on him to live, to thrive, and to grow. 
Without God, our life is meaningless. Without God, our life is incomplete, and we need to be dependent on God. I was so happy that we sang the song, King of My Heart, because that's exactly what we need to do in our lives. God needs to be our primary focus. When Samuel was warning Israel of the ways of the kings, he explained through a number of examples how the king would treat Israel like slaves by forcefully taking the best from them and putting it to his own use. He made, it, made this fact crystal clear when he said, you shall be his slaves. But Israelites stood firm in their, in their demand for a king. They were firm with their decision. And eventually we will see that they regretted this because it cost them their livestock, it cost them their families, it cost them their, their freedom, and it cost them their life. When our desires don't align with God's desire, then it, it is very clear that it is being, our desires are being driven by our emotions, our need to feel belonged, and the, by the pressure of keeping up with others. And all these things keep changing with time. It keeps changing with the influence the world has on us. So at the end of chasing all these constantly changing desires, we still end up dissatisfied, broken, hurt, and with a lot of regret. Now the second danger of following our own desires is that we stop hearing the voice of God because we become distant from God. The Israelites were adamant and stubborn with their decision of wanting a king. Verses 19 says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. Israel in that moment were committing an act of defiance against God. That is, they were boldly and openly disobeying God. Persisting with our desires would lead to God allowing us to go ahead and face the consequences. Romans 1.28 says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never have been done. This is exactly what God did. In verse 22, God says to Samuel, Listen to them and give them a king. The Israelites disregarded the protection God had over them until that moment, and worse of all, they disregarded their relationship with God, who had led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. The more we continue to follow our own desires, the fainter and fainter and fainter God's voice becomes. And at some point, we won't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts and minds become calloused, and we, sh we, we would know that we have walked far away from God. And that is a very dangerous situation for a Christian to be in. So, four years ago, I was very adamant about something, and I believe that it was from God. I invested a lot of time and energy into it, and I was really sure that God was with me in it, despite me facing a lot of struggles. But throughout the journey, my family kept telling me, we don't think this is from God. We really don't think God is with you in this. 
But whenever they said that, I was just hurt that they did not agree with me. And even though they said it to me a lot of times, I did not heed the word of God I received from my family. So I kept investing. I invested two years of my life building it up and giving it my all. But towards the end of the two years, I was struggling with anxiety. I had lost peace. The joy I exhibited was more more artificial than coming from within my heart. I felt burdened and started having a very negative attitude towards myself. But worst of all, I stopped hearing the voice of God and I stopped feeling the conviction. I stopped, I could not sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was desensitized to the Spirit of God because I unintentionally rejected God as the king of my life. And I was, I, I couldn't even have a relationship with my family. So when I recognized what I had done, I went back to my family and asked them, what should I do? They said simply, surrender and repent. So I went, I surrendered everything, and I repented and turned back to God. You know what, church? I was so happy because I felt like my soul and my heart were renewed. My joy and laughter returned to me. A burden was lifted off of me. I was able to have a relationship with my family and friends. And that was so big for me. But the biggest thing of all, I was able to perceive God's calling on my life. Church, I want to ask us, uh, is there a decision in our lives that we are making where we are giving up or compromising on our relationship with God? That is a question I did not ask. Finally, God's desire versus our desires. Israel forgot that God had been constant throughout their lives. He provided for them, fought their battles, showed them mercy and compassion, forgave them time and time and time again and never forsook them. But unfortunately, we can't say the same about Israel. The number of times Israel turned away from God is mind-blowing. But you know what? We're no different from them. We're just like them. When we face struggles, temptations, and hardships, we forget that God is with us. We start making our own way. We forget that we're not alone and that God has been faithful throughout our lives and he has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29:11 has been a verse that I've claimed as myself since, for myself since I got baptized. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The reason why I claimed it was because it helped me fix my focus back on God. It helped me let go of my desires and come back to God. It wasn't easy. It was very difficult. But that reminder always helped me that God had the best for me. I can trust him completely and let go of my desires. I want us to look, I want us to see what we can do to focus on God's desires rather than our own. When my relationship with God was restored, these are some of the things I did, I found useful, and I think 
we all might benefit from it. Point number one, <laughs> spend time with God daily and get to know him and his word better. From the time my personal relationship with God was restored, quiet time and personal time with God became really important to me. So I decided I'll wake up at 5.30 every morning and spend time with God. But sometimes I can't do it, and I'm still learning how to do it, but I found that discipline was really helpful for me. But this is in no way meant to be prescriptive. I know most of us, most of you have your own unique way of spending time with God. But for those who don't have your way of spending time with God, that's okay. Start today, start somewhere, and God will be there with you. So, it was very refreshing to hear Zach sharing about how he spends time with God two weeks ago in his preach. And whilst he was preaching, he mentioned that he sits in front of a large glass wall, a window, which looks out to his garden. And I have seen that window. It's really beautiful. You can see the garden, the trees, the nature, what God has made, and you can just praise God on who he is. But when he was preaching it, I was just sitting there and comparing it with my quiet time. And I sit in my small room, which faces a blank wall, which is slightly yellow. It has a small calendar, which still says October 2022, because I can't be bothered to change it. And that's how I spend time with God. But what I was doing during that was, when he was sharing about spending time with God, I was focused on comparing my life with his. Church, window or no window, spend time with God. <laughs> Jesus encourages us to spend time with him, to remember him and remember what he has done for us. It's not just while celebrating communion, Sunday mornings, prayer meetings, community groups. It should be part of our every single day life. Now, point number two is develop an attitude of gratitude. As we remember God's faithfulness, what God has done in our lives, we need to express our gratitude, gratitude to him every single day. It is a very simple application point, but it's something, it's an application point we often forget when we are in the midst of life. It is one that we easily forget when things are going well and when things aren't going that great. And lastly, stand firm in the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us. This comes with a price, which is complete submission to the will of God. This is saying no to ourselves and saying yes to God. Because that's when the life of God starts reflecting through our life. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, and I have come that your joy may be complete. So church, let's remember what God has done. Let's keep going back to him, thanking him for what he has done. And to put this into practice, let's partake in the communion together.
listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.